This is Payments Ground Game, where we go under the operational hood of Payments ISOs. Let's take a deep dive into the tactics you can use to strategically scale performance and your bottom line. Hey, it's Kevin Smith, and I'm here once again with my wife, Elena. We're here to discuss today in this episode and take a close look at an important component of sales strategy, customer acquisition costs. We'll share some insights on how to calculate this important number and discuss the implications for strategic decision-making. Using real-life examples and practical tips, ISOs and agents will understand the cost of acquiring new clients and balancing it with potential revenue. You can expect to learn how to effectively manage marketing spend and ensure a positive return on investment in the pursuit of new business. Okay, as you're planning sales goals for next year, you're probably thinking about sales strategy. What methods will you use to find new clients? How and where will you find them? But in thinking about these things, we often overlook this one component that can make or break your strategy. How much should you spend to get new clients? This is called customer acquisition cost. And on today's episode of Payments Ground Game, we're going to help you calculate that number so that you can be sure you have a winning strategy. Customer acquisition cost is the amount of money spent to acquire new merchant services clients. It can provide a lot of insight into the best way for ISOs and agents to spend their time and dollars on attracting new customers. But, you know, let's first talk about how did we decide on this topic? You know, we decided on this topic because not too long ago, we had someone reach out to us and they were approaching us about a possible merger, a possible uh, sale of their company to us or, you know, something along those lines. And so we started talking to them and they were very heavy into sales, marketing, pay-per-click, doing most of their acquisitions through this strategy of a high upfront cost model, which I'm very familiar with because remember, Elena, back at Pipeline, that's, holy smokes, that was half of what we did was that whole pay-per-click. Yeah, all online leads, Mm -hmm. Google pay-per-click, that kind of thing. And, you know, even 20 years ago, you had to be very mindful of what it was you were spending in that environment because you only had a lifespan of X for any particular client. You want to make sure that you're not spending more money to get that customer than you're going to receive in lifetime revenue or lifetime, not even really revenue, lifetime net income on that merchant, which by the way, I'm going to kind of put a little, uh, into that story I started with in the beginning, by the time we started asking questions and started digging in, we it didn't take us very long. I think it was about a 15-minute phone call where we decided that that was not a strategy that was being pursued there that we wanted to be involved with. Uh, they were considerably out of whack on their spending and return for what they were receiving. Well, one of the things that I thought was really interesting about that call, Kevin, is you asked that specific question. What are you spending on new leads. And this person didn't have an immediate answer. We had to help them do the math, which if that is the way that you're doing business, you have to know that number. And that's how we kind of came to this topic, because that is the way that a lot of people are going after new business. They're spending money to make money. And if you don't know what it is that you're trying to make on the other side, you don't know what you're able to spend. You know, the old saying, if you're spending it faster than you make it, (laughs) you're not going to make it. (laughs) So what is, let's talk about what is a reasonable customer acquisition cost when it comes to merchant services. 
you know, that's really a really, it's easy and it's not easy to determine because when you're talking about these things, how are you running your sales force? How are you acquiring these customers? Are you doing, like we said, are you doing this all virtually via e-commerce? Are you doing it pay-per-click? Are you, you know, just attracting people to a website? There's not a lot of sales people involved. There's not a lot of commissions involved. Or are you running the exact opposite of that, which is you have a salaried sales force that's out there knocking on doors and how much does it cost to get them out there and how much does it cost in commissions for them? But I think when you look at those two models, being that they're both at each end of the spectrum, on the left side, the low cost pay-per-click side, when I say low cost, it's not low cost, but lower commission side, your customers tend to have a shorter lifespan. Whereas anytime you have a customer that is acquired by human interaction or through a sales cycle that involves people actually talking to each other or communicating, that tends to be a longer life customer and tends to have a much longer lifespan and a much better ROI. So you're talking about a lot of intangible things, which is interesting, but there's also a math side of the equation. Um, I think the math side of our equation can help us really kind of frame what exactly we should be spending. Of course, you've got to think about those things that you're not going to be able to factor in and put into real numbers, like you just said. Um, but with the math side, at least that you can um, get a definite number of what it is that in the ballpark of what you should be spending, I think. Well, you know what I always say, Elena, it's just math. math. It's just math. <laughs> That's right. So I think the first and most important thing that you have to know is your customer lifetime value. Kevin, can you kind of define this term for us and help we un help us understand how we might calculate it? Yeah, there's two ways to look at it. And you've got folks that are going to look at it from what is the revenue side and what is the net profit side? We generally, I, and here at Secure Bank Card, we're generally looking at things from a net profit side. Um, but for those of you that are out there that are looking at things from a revenue perspective, because maybe that's more important to whoever it is that's you know funding you or how you're acquiring cash or capital to keep to sustain the business, that could be different. Literally, it's very simple. Take your portfolio. Take all of the accounts that you put in and say two years ago. So go back to Let's go back to 2021. Count up all the accounts you signed and issued MID numbers for in 2021. Now go look at December of 2023, how many of those are left, and what was the average lifespan of a customer in that portfolio that you signed in 2021? Then what you want to do, once you do that, you've got your lifespan. You've got your, your kind of your average. I would say your average for a normal portfolio is going to have a lifespan somewhere between 24 and 40 months. Then you want to look at what was my average income on that group of merchants? And what was my average cost on that group of merchants? Your average income is going to give you your revenue number. That's your top line number. Your net, after interchange, after commissions, after processing costs, that's your net profit margin. We're looking for three basic numbers. We're looking for what is the number of, what's the lifespan in months? So we got lifespan in months. 
we've got what was my top line revenue average and what was my net profit average. And you're saying you should use either the revenue number or the net number, depending on what you're uh, what you're being measured on. You know, whoever your stakeholders are, they'll find one of those more important than the other. Uh, you know, keep both of them. That way, when somebody asks you for one, you've got it. Uh, you're not trying to go back. It takes two seconds longer to go in and figure out both of them versus just one of them. So figure them both out. I think the conservative way to go there is to take that lifespan multiply it by the net number, the net net of whatever you're putting your po- in your pocket at the end of the day. And that's really what you're taking home um, on average for each of these merchants in, in that group. That's true. That's what you're taking home. And that's what you want to measure against your operational expenses to run your company, because that's how you're going to get your ROI. That's how you're going to find out what is my return on investment? How long does it take me to get there? How long does it take me to pay it back? Depending on how I I choose to acquire that customer. So it is relatively easy. I mean, let's just take, for example, let's say our average merchant, you know, is 24 months is our average lifespan. We get 24 months out of an average merchant and we make $20 in net profit on that merchant. And let's say we make, oh, $100 just using round numbers here as a revenue number. So my top line revenue for that particular merchant is $2,400. My net profit number is, what do we got there? That's $480 is my net profit for that particular merchant. And I would say if you're trying to build a portfolio to sell, you might be more focused on that top line revenue number. If you're trying to just build one to sustain, then maybe we're looking more at the net number. Is that fair? It is. It and it also depends on who you're. You know, who are you planning to sell to? Are you saying it, planning on selling to a public company? Are you planning on selling to a private equity group? Are you planning on selling to somebody as a cash stream? So that all makes a difference. Okay. All right. So we're talking about these customers in a very general sense, but I think there's value in kind of grouping them out and in separating them out into different groups because you're going to make different margins on different kinds of accounts and they're going to have different costs associated with it. So can you kind of go into why this might be important, kind of separating out different kinds of merchants and maybe even different pricing strategies? So an Interchange Plus portfolio versus a cash discount portfolio. Well, let's all use something that's that's relatively been around for a while that we all are very comfortable with and understand very well. Risk, low risk and high risk. Yes, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> So we all know in high risk, we're going to have additional costs associated with those merchants, but we're generally charging a, you know, a margin that is 10 to 20 times that of what we're going to charge in the low, uh, low margin portfolio. So those are good portfolios to look at. How much is it costing you to get your high risk merchants? What is the cost to keep them? Because A, they're harder to keep because they go out of business or you have to run them off. So they may have a shorter lifespan, um, but they also are more expensive because now we're having to look at, you know, hey, did we have some loss in there? Did we have a, you know, did we have an issue with a merchant? Because they're more likely to have these additional operating costs versus a lower risk merchant, which really the only operating costs we really have are probably somewhere in the range of customer service and an ongoing operating expense. But we may have a cost of putting out a terminal. Uh, And when you go to sell those two portfolios, 
you're going to have these same numbers and you want to keep them separate so that you can say, hey, my low risk portfolio is X, my high risk portfolio is Y. Uh, and the reason being is when somebody goes to acquire you or looks to acquire you, they may not want one or the other, or they may want both, but they're going to value that portfolio in two pieces generally instead of as one unit. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the expense side. We talked a lot about the revenue and then the income side. Let's now transition over to what does it cost us um, to have these merchants. And the first thing I think we want to think about is any direct costs of acquiring a single merchant account. So let's talk about this from a perspective again, about what are my costs involved in this? Let's make sure we're talking about kicking everything into the equation. Yes, I made a hundred dollars on this merchant. That's, that was the gross income was a hundred dollars on that merchant, but I only got paid $20 because of processing costs, interchange, dues, assessments, et cetera. Okay. And my split, but I've still got additional costs that I need to factor in. I've got somebody in the office. That is a cost that I need to spread out. I've got a phone system in the office that's taking calls from customers. That's an expense. I need to spread out, make sure you're bringing into the equation, everything that is caught that you are having to take out as a cost. So that you get down to what is your number associated with the true profitability on that merchant. And this is tricky to arrive at because we're talking about a lot of different costs and these people will do things that are not just feeding into those sales. But I think the best way to do this from an accounting you know, perspective is to take your overhead expenses and just look at them as a percentage of your income and kind of apply that percentage to your customer lifetime value so that you're making this kind of assumption that this much in sales is costing me this much in overhead, and that's how much it's going to cost me to future sales, if that makes sense. Um, you can't necessarily, you can like rent, for example, that's the same every single month, um, and you can you know easily apply that. But when you have people who are working on things that are beyond sales, it makes it really tricky. So I think just coming up with this like generic overhead uh, percentage to apply to everything makes this a little bit more straightforward. And then I also just want to add, don't forget about the things like if you're giving them free equipment up front, um, you need to factor that in. That's definitely a hard cost. You know the exact number of what that looks like generally. Also, if you're paying any agents upfront signing bonuses, you also need to deduct that out as a cost. Now, once we get down to all that, what are we left with? We're left with a number that tells us how much money we made on our average customer over the lifetime. Not how much we made today, not how much we made yesterday, but how much we made over the lifetime of that customer. So to kind of get to that number, let's let's talk about that real quick. So we said, hey, we made our average merchant lasted 24 months. We made $20 a month on that merchant. So as we go back and look at this, we want to say, hey, we knew we made $2,400 on that merchant in gross revenue. We made $480, which we figured up earlier, $480 in net profit on that merchant over two years. All right. Elena likes to use the 10% rule. She likes to say 10% of your operating net operating income is what your operating costs are. I sometimes tend to think that's a little bit of a hokey number. So $480. Minus 48 means we have a net profit of $432 lifetime income for that particular merchant. Did now, we give them any equipment? 
Did we give them any equipment? You need to take that out of the number. Did we give them an upfront bonus? We need to take that out of that number. We need to figure those things out to figure out where we're at. But at the end of the day, after we've taken everything out of that number, that number has to be on the right side of the zero, not on the left side of the zero. In other words, it has to be a profitable number. It can't be a negative number. Yeah, that's not good. I think you want to be very well on the right side of zero because you always want to leave yourself a little wiggle room for the unexpected things that might pop up because there's going to be, you know, a terminal's going to go bad or they need more service than you expected or whatever it is. Plan for a little bit of room because we don't want to work for free or worse, we don't want to work for losing money. And remember here, we're talking about a pretty small little number here. And most of you guys are going to have revenue numbers that are much larger than this. We're kind of talking about a small number here. But for us, that's kind of getting into a realm for us of what that number is. And so we want to keep our cost of acquisition well under that $480 because we said it was $480 minus $48 means our lifetime income. And we didn't give them any free equipment. We didn't give them any free bonus. We didn't do anything like that. It was $432. So I really don't want to spend more than probably $100 in this scenario to acquire a new customer. Um, because that's gone. Now I'm starting to eat up into, I'm getting into a number that's greater than 30% of my lifetime revenue for my cost of acquisition. That's my comfort zone is right in that 30% number. It doesn't mean that's the comfort zone for everybody else. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't be at 50%. You certainly can 50% works because it makes money, but you've got to keep an eye on making sure that your margin stays the same. You got to make sure that you keep that customer, your average lifespan is that 24 months, because all of a sudden, if your lifespan drops to 20 months or your margin drops, or gets cut in half dramatically, you can get upside down real quick. But on the flip side of that, I think the good thing is that once you know this number, it makes it very easy for you to, you know, go explore other new marketing tactics, know what the cost is of those marketing tactics. So if you're going to go after pay-per-click and you know the clicks are costing $200, that might not be the best scenario for one that you're only making this 432 um, dollars. Well, uh, the cost, I should say, not cost per click, but cost per lead. So closed lead that you get is, you know, $200. That would be cutting it a little too close for me. So it makes it very easy to draw that line and decide, okay, here's a new marketing strategy. Let's go try it and see how it does. And then you can do this calculation all over again and see if you're, you know, making the margins that you thought you were on the new business that you're attracting. Well, and you can get super nerdy on some of this stuff, Lainey. You can go in and start saying, hey, I'm going to track this by lead source. I'm going to track this by sales rep. I'm going to track this by, you know, whatever it is that is your metric that you think designates that group of individuals or that group of merchants different from everything else. And when I was at Pipeline, we used to get very, very granular on this, on who did the, who was the lead source, uh, what was the lead source, and who was the salesperson that got the lead? Did this salesperson have a longer lifespan with that salesperson with this particular lead source? We used to get very granular with that, and we're very successful with that. But if you're not careful and you're not watching this, at least it from a very high-level perspective, which at the very least should be, my average merchant in my portfolio lasts last X number of months 
my average income is this, my average net return is this, and my net cost to acquire is this. If you don't maintain just at least that basic number, you really are not going to have a whole lot of success of managing and manipulating how you're spending your marketing dollars going forward correctly. I couldn't agree more. It's so hard sometimes to see that money flying out the door for sales and marketing. But I think as long as you stick to the basics and do the math and you see positive ROI, you can keep increasing your spend and drive more sales and ultimately more margin. But always remember at the end of the day, when you look at a profit and loss statement, black numbers are good, red numbers are bad. That is the most basic business equation of all time. And this is going to help you make sure that those numbers at your profit and loss are black numbers every time and not red numbers. That wraps up this episode of Payments Ground Game. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the show, please share it with others or leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks again. We'll see you next time. <laughs>